This is an Area Code podcast. Hey guys, welcome to welcome Sweet, to Sweet Tea. Tea. This is Portia Collins and Jasmine Holmes and also Abita and also Emmy. See, Jasmine, I really thought you were going to act right this time. I really did. I thought, I was like, she didn't got me the last two times. So I thought, okay, she going to get on here and she going to be cool today. But obviously not. She didn't introduce the whole lineup. So yes, we got <laughs> Abina with us. We have Be Quiet. We have Emery behind me. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what y'all gonna get in this episode. So uh, apparently it's gonna be full of excitement because <laughs> we be got lit. a lot going on today. <laughs> yeah, we had a hard time getting the mics together. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I am propped up on three pillows with an ice pack on my back. <laughs> because I'm pregnant and I threw my back out and I am sitting over here trying to get my mind around the fact that as soon as I hang this mic up I gotta drive like 12 hours to Michigan um, with this toddler who is currently climbing on my back I wish, wish you guys could see like live footage of this so but you know this is what we do like it wouldn't be sweet tea if we didn't have a little bit of chaos like Absolutely. right and some craziness we embrace the chaos yeah we are, we are also embracing our special guest today yes so yes we have our our sweet friend abina with us uh abina tell the people hey girl hello everyone hi 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 <laughs> it's good to be here <laughs> so listen if you have not grasped uh the the accent yet first of all i am just in love you gotta be quiet girl i am in love with uh abena's like <laughs> british accent it's like the best i will so I will like come you know with it on you know a hundred percent today no no assimilation <laughs> today <laughs> Yes. I actually don't care about it at all. I'm completely impervious to oh, it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so as y'all can see, I'm not the only person that Jasmine give a hard time. And I'm so happy that I got a, a sister uh-huh. who understands the terrorizing that Jasmine puts me through. Because she experiences it just the same. <laughs> it's love. It's love. Abina, what is, what is your name now? Are you still going by? Hold on, let me let me uh show my behind. Uh, Abina, Bwachiwa. Uh, yes, you got it. Ansa. I am going by Abina Bwachiwa Ansa in academic circles. Um, I've already published okay. under the name, so I'm keeping Abina Bwachiwa Ansa for university purposes. And outside of the academic world, I'm going for Abina Ansa Wright and my husband and I, Zach actually are both changing our names to Abina. Well, no, he's not changing his name to Abina, but like, he's changing Abina. his last name to Ansa Wright as well. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good deal. 
look, I wasn't even going to try to say your whole last name because I, I didn't even want to mess it up like that. Like this Southern country I got going on. I'm doing good just to say English words correctly. Honestly, so, I feel like American most, words. most Americans get it right a lot quicker than British people ever did. So surprisingly, you'll, I think you'll just feel familiar with, you know, names from different places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. We got it. <laughs> well, so today we uh, are, I, I feel super excited to be able <laughs> to just dig into a little bit of uh, what you do. You've kind of already alluded to it um, when you mentioned that you've published in, you know, academic circles. So I guess we could just open it up and tell us like, Tell us a little bit about you. And you don't have to limit it sure. to, uh, we know, but we want every, we want all, our, all of our sweet tea folks to know. Um, you know, tell us about Abina and, you know, marriage, sure. academic stuff, whatever you want to share. Give us the tea, girl. Absolutely. So she's from Kansas, <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. That's right. Born and raised. <laughs> um, and she has a... A, a Swedish background. I can't stand Jasmine. I cannot stand Jasmine. I just can't, y'all. Like, oh my goodness, Petty Betty. Right? Okay, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to help. Thank you. So those are the things I'm not. Um, so my name is Abina. Um, I am originally from the UK. I was born and raised in the north of England. Well, I was born in Scotland, raised in England, um, and then went back to Scotland for undergrad, took a year out, and then moved to Nashville, Tennessee, enrolling in Vanderbilt um, to do my PhD. So the back backstory to that is that Mm -hmm. I am first generation, um, ethnicity-wise. My Mum is from Trinidad in the Caribbean, and my dad is from Ghana, West Africa. So they both actually moved to Glasgow in Scotland, where I was born. They moved for grad school themselves. So they moved to, my dad is a pharmacologist, um, and so he now teaches pharmacology at the University of Sunderland, where I grew up. And my mom is a nurse. So she went there for her master's in nursing. She was a midwife first and then um, became a nurse while she was in Scotland. So they met at Bible study, got married six months later and never left. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. me and Jasmine know a thing or two about them quick engagements. I think right. Jasmine, Jasmine, you had like a, a three month engagement and I had a, well, I didn't, I had a long engagement, but the time from when we started dating to when he proposed was really quick. It was like yeah. five, five or six months. So uh, that's cool. I, I didn't even know. Hold on, Emmy. I did not. So you just helped me to some things that I, I didn't know. I did not know um, that, your mom was from the Caribbean. Yep. I don't know why. I thought I thought West Ghana too, yeah. but I did not know no, that. No, she okay. is from the Caribbean. She's from Trinidad, and everyone gets well. The Caribbean friends that I have get upset because 
uh, Vagana. Vagana is like the overtone, you know, in my name. <laughs> and I also yeah. apparently look super Ghanaian too. People stop me in the street who are also from Ghana and they're like, oh, are you from Ghana? I'm like, kind of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to rep the Caribbean side too. Got to rep it. Cool. Cool. So tell us a little bit or or tell our sweet tea people um what is your focus um for your PhD work? Yeah, so um my PhD is in history as the most most broad category. Then I kind of think of it in, you know, almost like concentric circles just going smaller and smaller and smaller rather than bigger and bigger and bigger. So the biggest circle is history. Then the next circle is American history. And then most specific is the American Civil War. And then most specific within that is I really focus on the beginnings of Black freedom during the American Civil War. And even narrower, I'm looking at what that was for Black women specifically. So formerly enslaved women, I'm really asking the question in my dissertation, what did they think freedom was? What did they hope that it could be? Um, And so I'm looking really at Black women's perspectives and a really specific group. Like I'm, I'm trying to focus on the formerly enslaved, mainly because they often get left out of the narrative um, mm-hmm. in terms of ideas. It's really, it's really profound and noticeable to me that if we don't see people writing, we assume that they don't necessarily have ideas. Yes, they're harder to trace, but everybody has ideas. We act based on something that we believe. Um, I even mm-hmm. just sitting on a chair, I sit on it because I believe it can hold my weight, right? So basically what I'm trying to do is read the actions of formerly enslaved women to really just try to understand what did they believe about freedom? What did they think that it could be? What were their hopes for freedom? And understanding that kind of gray area between slave and free. Um, What was that transition like? Yeah, that's my dissertation topic, yeah. So this brings me to uh, you and Miss Jazzy J. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all share hearts uh, in terms of both being historians. Yep. Um, pardon me while I give somebody behind me candy. I'm just being a terrible mama today, y'all. I'm literally bribing Emmy to stay quiet on this podcast. Survive. Do what you need to do. Survive. Do what you gotta do. Do what you have to do. So, Portia, Abina, and I are kind of a testament to 21st century friendships because I think Portia and I have told the story about how we met on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And Abina and I met on Instagram. And I was talking about Sarah G. Stanley, who nobody knows about. And I do, thanks to you. <laughs> I know. And, and more people will now for sure. Um, but I was talking about her because I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> and Abina had hopped into my inbox before. We'd had a couple of conversations before. And Abina, I can let you like talk about that if you want to sure. talk about that. But um, we had talked about the 
last conversation that I remember before that was Donny Hathaway. We have the same yep. favorite Donny Hathaway <laughs> song. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I don't know who this is, but she has really good taste in music. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, Sarah G. Steely, I love her. And I was like, um, I think I love you. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> That's basically how it happened. Yeah, I'd um, followed Jasmine for a while. Um, it's actually funny. A friend of mine back in the UK put me onto Jasmine's blog when I moved, because um, moving from the UK to the US as a black woman was kind of jarring, surprisingly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so a friend from home was like, oh, hey, there's this woman that you might find helpful. You know, I'd called home in tears a bunch of times, just like, I don't understand this world that I inhabit now. Um, and so they were like, you know, she talks about, you know, church and faith and race and all those great things. And I, you know, it might help you just transition a little bit better. So I'd been reading Jasmine's blogs for a while, following her on social media, those kind of things. Because um, Jasmine is famous. Jasmine is and, you know, when <laughs> we got to make sure we read her blogs what and her book. Right? Y'all know, I've been waiting my whole life for this right? mo- moment. As much as she trolled she- me, Jasmine <laughs> is the queen troller. So I just had to jump in there. So I'm sorry. Keep going, Obina. That is I okay. Keep going, girl. But yes, that's exactly how it happened. We'd had a couple of exchanges. I think the first one I really remember was. Um, you answered a question that I had about marriage. Um, I was prepping engagement season, like moving towards marriage and had been reading some Gottman books and things like that. And Jasmine really likes John Gottman too. Um, Me too. Amazing, amazing (laughs) books. Um, We got to tag his book in the show notes. Right? Yeah, we we should. Um, So I think that was the first major interaction. I was like, oh my gosh, she answered my question. And then a few months (laughs) later, I had actually been studying Sarah G. Stanley. She's a woman that I was actually writing about in this chapter that I just got done now. But I discovered her maybe two or three months before Jasmine and I connected. And so when I saw Jasmine post about her, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know anybody knew about this woman. Like I was completely bowled over reading her letters. Um, I was reading her letters at the American Missionary Association archives, which are actually in New Orleans. So I was there for a month, just immersed in this woman's letters. And suddenly Jasmine, (laughs) who in my mind is like a disconnected world at this point, you know, like that's just... Like I tapped in for faith and church and navigating that space. And so mm-hmm. I think it's when Jasmine was starting to lean more into the history side of things. And so I got super mm-hmm. pumped and just slid in those DMs, you know, and was like, oh my gosh, Sarah G. Stanley, she's amazing. And, you know, the rest is sweet, sweet history. <laughs> I am a very aggressive, like when I connect with a black woman online, I like I really connect. It. Like I'm like, give me hey, your number. Hey. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk. We're friends now. I like I don't think you was know. Not expecting that. Like I was like, oh, we're gonna have this exchange and then it will be over. And then you put your number in. And I basically passed out. My roommate was like, what is happening? I was like, Jasmine, Jasmine Holmes wants to be my friend. I think we might be. Friends. I have the video. <laughs> I have the video on my phone now. I do. Yes, I was very happy. She. uh and I was like, there's this, because, I mean, Portia very generously called me a historian, which is 
so you kind. But history. You are I, a historian. I, you, you it's are. weird. It's weird. But I was just like an actual Civil War historian, a black female Civil War historian wants to talk to me. <laughs> Our friendship is such a perfect illustration of why Abina's research and Carved in Ebony and learning about the lives of these Black women is so extremely important, not just for Black women, but for for people of the faith in general. But yes. speaking specifically of Black yeah. women, it can feel so isolating to be part of white American evangelical space. Yes. Abina experienced mm-hmm. it coming over here. Portia experienced it going into the reformed part of yes. faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was born, I was born and bred in it. <laughs> and I'm just now getting other experiences. Um, but I just remember being a young girl, not having a lot of black friends, not having a lot of black influences, yep. and also just not seeing myself reflected in the story of the faithful people of yes. God throughout our country's history. Yeah. Like we, yeah. you know, Phyllis Wheatley and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, and that's all you yep. get. Right. Yep. And so looking and learning about the lives of these women and then how they're connected, like I'm writing about 10 women. Abina's writing about like 50 women. There's like 500 so women, many. you know, there's like a thousand <laughs> women. There's, there's countless yep. women that whose stories we don't know who have shaped what it means to be a black woman in America and who have done so with this, like there's just this transcendent sense of, camaraderie that has come from my Mm -hmm. relationships with black Christian women, because there is an extra layer of me that they understand Mm -hmm. and an extra layer of experience that God just uses to bless me in so many ways. Like these are some of the most empowering, like these two women, Portia and Abina are two of the most empowering relationships that I have in my life. And learning about these women is like just another aspect of that empowerment y'all don't be gross just move past it just let me say it and then move past it you know she don't like me she at all (laughs) just like just let me just say it and then just pretend like i didn't say it look i tried but i couldn't it was it was too mushy it was too mushy if y'all think enneagram is the devil then skip forward 30 seconds but these are both enneagram nines so like their feelings they be feeling the the feelings real deep and me and my fiveness is like okay okay go on (laughs) moving along yes i love you it's been discussed Oh man! But, but you, I do want to talk about just like, or actually, I want Abina to talk about because Abina, do you remember a few weeks ago I was at an event where it was me and a bunch of other academics, but they were theological yeah. academics, and I called you in tears because I was like, they don't value academia that's not theological yeah. because they don't see how a an amateur historian is historian. Mm-hmm is right. an amateur take, historian, take historian. Take an amateur is an asset it's guys after i get my master's then i'll i'll agree with you but i just i can't right now whatever, um, whatever. is an asset to the faith like they don't see the practice of history i'll say yes. it that way they don't see the practice of history the practice of learning and sharing history as important to the faith and i called abina and i was very upset and she was like welcome to my life yep completely mm-hmm. and i think what makes me sad about that is I think especially for black Christians, I'm like, that is a new attitude. 
That is a very, Mm -hmm. very new attitude. History Mm -hmm. and understanding God's place in our story and our place in God's story in this country has been what has carried Black Christians for generations. That, that to me, is what makes Mm -hmm. me especially sad about it because that's what really got me into the subject on the whole was looking at so I started in undergrad I had no intention of doing American history I'd never studied American history the only I think I'd done one semester on the civil rights movement which is hilarious in hindsight I'm like how do you teach the civil rights movement with nil context <laughs> like <laughs> did that in high school um and ended up taking an American history course in my second year fell in love with it. It was a year long course where you go through the whole thing and just found it interesting. The first thing that hooked me was like, you know, for such a young country, you get to see the spectrum of humanity, like the absolute Mm -hmm. worst and some of the absolute best happening in, you know, 200 years. That's phenomenal. That's very interesting. That was the first thing Mm -hmm. that hooked me. And then it was totally a God thing. My third year of college, I was put into a course called the Peculiar Institution of Slavery. We had to essentially pick four. We had to rank what courses we wanted to do. When I tell you I did not list this course, I mean it. I really didn't want to do it. I was like, I'm not studying slavery. Too close to home too depressing, going to make me sad. I have no interest in doing this. Um, And tried to get out of the course and they would not let me get out of this course. They were like, there's no, every class is full. There's nowhere else for you to go. Like, this is the course that you're doing. So I was like, okay, God, here we go. I probably cried for the first four weeks of the class, every single class. Just because (laughs) when you actually see, and I think that's what upsets me about this cultural moment that we're having right now. I'm like, if you spend five minutes in the sources about the 18th and 19th century and what slavery mm-hmm. looked like, you, it, it's, it's grievous. It really brings Absolutely. you yeah. to a space yes. of grief. And if it does mm-hmm. anything else, I don't understand like that. That's all that does. Um, and that's, yeah. that's the space that I was in. I was just like, why am I reading these things? This is, horrific like this is just so hard and then learning about the place that the church played you know the part that the church played and all of that got it just got harder but what really hooked me was the the first project that I got to write on um it was essentially how different sects or denominations if you like responded to slavery so that was my first paper that I did for this class. And I got to look at the Moravians, Methodists, um, and the Quakers. I think it was just those three that I spent the time looking at. And- <laughs> I know. I'm over here like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so oh. it was the first time I got to encounter people, both slave and free, mm-hmm. who had this particular understanding of scripture and what it calls us to and what it brings us into. And I got to start to see like, even in this space of absolute depravity and darkness, 
there were two things. Number one, the hand of God. Like, Mm -hmm. you just see, and that's what makes me so sad about it. I'm like, if you look at it and behold it for what it truly was, you actually get to see God. Like, you get to see his grace. You get to see his redemptive nature. You get to see that he is somebody who is involved and who cares you get to see that if we actually take history for what it actually was rather than trying to make it something else. And then the second thing is you see that there's a remnant in every generation. There are a remnant of people who are faithful to what God said and what God says we should do, who he says we are, who he you know, says we should be. That exists in every single generation. And it's that that mm-hmm. captivated me. I'm like, how are these people who have been stripped of everything that it is to have being, to have personhood, how did these people actually sing these hymns and even write them, not just sing hymns that other people wrote, write these hymns that speak of eternity, that speak of God's glory, that speak of God's mercy, his kindness, his love. Like if they can see that, and encounter that and not even just passively encounter that go into the woods at night and hang up pots and pans and sheets in Mm. the trees to hide the sound so that they could worship God. Like what have they seen of God that I might be missing, that others might be missing. Mm You know, like, mm-hmm. and that's why I say kind of like to circle back to your original question, the study of those people is integral to me and my faith. Mm-hmm. It is integral to my response when I encounter racism today, when I encounter mm-hmm. hardship today, maltreatment, whatever it may look like. And thank God it doesn't look like what it used to look like, but it still happens. We know that. And how do I actually respond to that in a way that bitterness does not grow within me, that I can still see God? Honestly, outside of scripture itself, I have learned from those people. I have learned from enslaved people what that means, what that looks like. Some of the most profound truths and, and, uh, I suppose, postures, I have learned from my study of these people who have held on to faith and asserted faith in much harder conditions than I ever will, you know? And I, I, it grieves me because I'm like, we have all of these really cool theologians that we look at and we're like, oh my gosh. I, I was... Yeah, I was just about to say it. I know where you headed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think something that's triggered in my mind as you were saying this, and I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. There's been this misconception or this narrative that has been peddled that Black people have bad theology, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I I experienced it at some point. Mm-hmm. I even upheld it Same. to be un- be honest. I felt like oh Same. we ain't got it right. But when you speak of stories, not 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 just stories. These are facts. You know, these are actual historical events and and the lives of people who have truly been carried by mm-hmm. God. Like we see yes. the fruit yes. of that in their lives. That lets me know. Okay. Like you, like it, honestly, I'm thankful for you and Jasmine because y'all helped to reel me back in mm-hmm. when I was in a space where I was trying to figure out what I believe, why I believe it, what's right, what's wrong, yep. and I had begun to be honest. I had begun to villainize everything about how African Americans worship and how mm-hmm. you know just the things that we've learned, the songs that we sing. I mm-hmm. had begun to villainize them. Because it didn't fit into the Americanized, cookie-cutter, reformed box. And so I'm so blessed to be able to read. I'm so happy when Jasmine says, hey, check this person out. Read this chapter. It really blesses me to learn about African-American people who've been on the train with yep. Jesus, you know yep. what I'm saying? Who, who've been fighting the good fight of faith. Yep. Like, it's like, cause I didn't know, I didn't know anything about them. And this is the thing. Like, I think that's what, that's a piece of it that is so, ah, uh, I don't even know the word yet. So I'll just describe it. But what you're saying is something I experienced too. Like, I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, no, that's, there's too much emotionalism and there's too much this and there's too much that, you know, and this isn't right. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if we're not reading this handful of the same five theologians that everybody's reading, then if you're outside of that, then you're wrong, you know? And what I've learned in my studies and kind of, as I said, has really helped me in my faith is what embodied faith looks like. And when I say embodied faith, I truly mean that. Like, how do I, as a person who encounters, frankly, trauma because of the body that God created me in, because I experience trauma on the basis of how God created me, how do I still worship him? How do I actually Mm. remain in a place of being thankful for who he made me to be, to actually understand like, no, I am made in the image of God. My race is not part of the fall. Not at all. Like racism is part of the fall. Race, my being black, my blackness, my culture Mm -hmm. is not, it's not part of the fall. Like, Right, you know, right. and it's, it's through seeing these people who suffered more than I will ever suffer be able to really have a hope that is both for eternity and also for this life to get better because of what God said. That is how I've learned to actually like embody embody my faith my faith has to mean something for me now as much as it does for eternity you know else how can I move through this life it has to mean something now and I had a friend ask me they're like you know what do you think is the biggest difference between the black church and white evangelicalism and I'm like that 
white evangelicalism, in my experience, is this heady experience of, you know, intellect. It's about what I understand in my mind. It requires me to essentially transcend my circumstances emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It's this kind of like removal from, you know, it's, I'm, I will be removed from the things of the world if possible. Um, that's when I'm a good Christian. That's what allows a pastor to say to me, you know, like you're struggling because your identity isn't in Christ when I talk about racial trauma. That's what allows mm -hmm. a pastor to say that to me, you know? And what I'm realizing is the biggest difference is black people have never had that choice. We don't, we don't have that choice to just be like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm just gonna, you know, mentally transcend out of this place, out of this spot, out of this trauma that I'm experiencing every day. I need a relationship with God where God intervenes, where God actually meets me in this Girl. world, in my body, and has mm -hmm. something to say about my body, about my being, mm -hmm. about how I move mm -hmm. through the world. I need to know that the Jesus that I worship suffered. He felt the things that I feel. He understands, he knows. And you yes. know what? Scripture says it. It isn't even yes. just a historical tradition that says that. Scripture actually mm -hmm. says we have right. a God, we have a savior who empathizes with everything, everything mm -hmm. that we experience. And to me, I'm like, what? what shows us that more than history? What shows us that Absolutely. more than the fact that, you know, we talk about Jesus came uh, in, in, you know, in the flesh, he came as man, mm -hmm. he came to live the life that we couldn't. And he also came to live the life that we live a hard one, mm -hmm. a, a very hard one, hard one. Yeah. a man of many sorrows, many sorrows, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm like that, mm -hmm. That vision is the vision that they had of Jesus. That is how yeah. I can bear the hard things is knowing actually, you know, God bore this. He knows what this feels like. He came to set this to right, you know? And I think for me, history, I always say when people ask, they're like, especially here where, you know, people prefer this narrative of America has always been a Christian country and it's glory days are in the past. You know, I'm like, actually mm -hmm. the compelling story to me is a redemptive one that Jesus was yeah. faithful to very unfaithful people that God was good to those who he's, he said he cares about. He cares about the orphan. He cares about the widow. He cares about the person who was persecuted. On, and we see that God has come through again and again and again for those people. He has used a remnant, those who remained faithful, to actually bring seismic change to this country. And that, to me, is a much more glorious story. That's a much more exciting story. A much more faith-inciting story is that mm -hmm. where we are right now, God has a remnant. He has a handful of people. It might not feel like it's very many, but he has a handful of people, just like he did back in the 19th century mm -hmm. with the handful of abolitionists that 
were not everyone, by the way. Let's just be clear about that. Hand, right. Handful of abolitionists. Right. He has that same handful right. right now, and he will be faithful, and he will actually bring, whether it's what feels like incremental, the tiniest change, God is moving. God is moving. Yes. And that, to me, yeah. holding on to that, that, that is something that, frankly, <laughs> theology isn't, it, it can't give you that full experience of that in the way that history well, it's, can. It's head, it's head and heart. That's how Precisely. I think about it. Like, like, there needs to be the things that we learn about God and the ways that God has been faithful to us. Cause really that's really what the Bible is. It's a story yes. of God's faithfulness to us. And so when we can see that happening in our own lives or, or in those who have come before yeah. us, then it kind of helps us to what I call, it takes that uh, theology mm -hmm. and it turns it into doxology Absolutely. it helps mm -hmm. us to be able to understand and we see and we know the principles of the faith uh the doctrines but then it it changes us to where we can praise and we can yeah. be expressive Absolutely. about the things and the ways that we see god moving and working in our respective lives Absolutely. and so I, I i think that um i always this is something that i one of my professors told me in seminary and it, it's really stuck with me you know the litmus test it's always going to be scripture. Okay. Amen. So we know we, we uphold the authority uh, of scripture, but Absolutely. a good theologian, a good believer, a good Christian also takes into account tradition, yep. culture. Um, there are other things that we, you know, that, that help to shape our faith. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think we would do well if we just pause a moment to see how God uses uh, history and uses the testimonies of from ourselves and from from others that, like I said, who have come before us. How God uses that for our good and His glory, ultimately. Amen. Because yeah. that's so often the story of the Old Testament, yes. anyway. Yes, it's just the retelling of God's faithfulness yes. mm -hmm. in the lives, in the mm -hmm. lives of of His people. Because um, it, it's it's really it's not about the exaltation of no. black folks. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about God's preservation of a persecuted church here right. in America. Amen. Right. And his preservation of a persecuted people here in America for his glory, yes. not for ours. And I think, oh, for his glory. I think one thing I'd love to point out, I know we should probably wrap up, but one thing I'd love to point out is understanding the absolute miracle that that is. Besides the suffering and all of that, we are talking about a people who were given a false gospel. We're talking literally pieces mm -hmm. cut out of the Bible, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. fed only certain cherry-picked lines of scripture. Mm -hmm. And frankly, today, people are led astray with much less effort. Much less effort. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, we Come are talking mm -hmm. about people who were given a false gospel and somehow God actually was so faithful, was so present 
with them that they actually found truth anyway. They found hey, truth hey. anyway. They weren't even allowed to they read the Bible. Right. They right. still right. found truth anyway. And God still did it. Like, yes. That's what people, people don't understand. Like, and, and these are things that it's hard for us to fathom mm-hmm. these things because we've always had a Bible. We've always yeah. had, you know, the... But we don't realize that there were people who didn't have all they had, those hymns that they sang, like literally, they didn't have the, the scriptures. It was literally God's faithfulness to them that, like, weren't even allowed to assemble together. Yes. They couldn't even assemble together right. in many states. Right, right, right. Couldn't, couldn't marry, you know, things like that. Yeah. And yet, God made it so that they actually knew the truth of the gospel, you know, like that. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to just sit on that for a little while. (laughs) God cares that much that even with being fed an actual false gospel for generations, we're not talking a couple handful sermons here and there. No generations. People still found truth to the extent that one of my favorite sources that um, I used in my article was basically um, a missionary who was in the South, uh, in Newburn, North Carolina. So it was a Union-occupied location, and this is towards the close of the war. And That's where Sarah G. Stanley's from. (laughs) So it's towards (laughs) the close of the war. I think it's just after the war is over and freedom is, like, official. You know, not, I don't think it's quite at the 13th Amendment, but like freedom is more official than it was during the war, at least anyway. And he is a, it's a white man from, I think he's from Boston and he stood outside of this church, um, which is what that article is about. It's about black churches, um, just kind of like the revivalism that happens during the American Civil War and Mm -hmm. how black a lot of black enslaved people prioritized building churches. That was their first thing. They didn't focus on, you know, getting their own and getting their own land or whatever. They're like, no, we need a church, you know? Um, So anyway, so he's standing observing this church service that is in celebration of freedom. It's thanking God. It's a worship and prayer service, thanking God for freedom. And an elderly woman comes up to him, elderly, formerly enslaved woman comes up to him and is like, is it really true we get to read and we're going to learn to write? But like more than anything, Jesus is never going to be shut up from us again. Like we actually get to do this. We get to worship Mm -hmm. in public. We get to, you know, pray out loud. We get to read scripture. And he's like, yeah, all these things that I take for granted, this woman is understanding the the beauty and the privilege that it is to get to openly commune with God. That is that is the sign of a persecuted church. That is mm-hmm. what persecuted churches would worship and thank God for if the persecution was over, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think what what my aim is with my work is really and I'm realizing it even as I say it, like that is the framing of my research is understanding the black communities under enslavement and becoming free as a persecuted church, you know, um, that 
that reality really helps us to understand how God moved and it moves us away from just looking for this tract or set of confessions that people wrote and actually seeing how they lived lives of faith just through action, um, through doing mm. what they could do, even when it was illegal, even when they would be punished for it, pursuing it anyway, that true embodied faith that we're all striving for today, you know? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, we really need to wrap this up. But before we go, Abina, Portia, be quiet. <laughs> I want to talk to you about an idea that I have. So like no, a lot no. of people no, listen, this is different. No. Uh-uh. This is different. A okay. lot of people okay. don't like my president song. No. Okay. No, Portia, I'm t- I'm agreeing with you that they don't like it. Okay. Finish what you're gonna say. So I can cut I this mic. So I'm gonna cut your mic or off. My states and capital song. But we can make a song to teach the people about these women. and It could help the children <laughs> to learn. Because listen, no, Portia, listen. Okay, because Abina, something that y'all don't know about Abina is that Abina is actually also a musician. Okay. She I'm has a Nashville, vocal performance so background. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. It is true. And I'm not like a musician, like a honky tonk. Not that kind. But like, and Ella Fitzgerald, you know, that kind of... So, anyway, so listen, listen. Abina, uh-huh. I, you could perform the song and I could write it <laughs> and we could teach the children about oh, all these... Women. I, Portia, I, I'm just not. I'm not You gonna said know. the problem was my singing. Now I have a singer. So now <laughs> what's your issue? I think, it, I think your problem is just me. No, 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 my I mean, my thing is, see, I already know what you're gonna try to do. And see, you gonna you gonna put you gonna put a little bit of Abina vocals on there, but then you're gonna try to come in there and lay a couple bars down and rap. And that ain't for you, fam. I'm just trying to help you. She can she can sing it, and I could just be like Mariah Stewart in the house. What up? <laughs> Coming at you with the. See, you know what I'm talking about, Abina? See, I'm not going to deal with that. With the 1803 <laughs> and the 1897. No, look, it's good. No, hey. I'm not. I'm not. Uh-uh. See, I'm, I'm getting up. I'm walking away. It's, it's over. It's over. Away. I'm wow. walking away and I'm about to cut her. I'm about to pull the plug. Abina, we can talk about this. We can talk about this later. We'll talk about this off. Because we have haters. Among hate us, listen. I'm just trying to bless you, baby. That's I'll tell the truth and shame the devil. That's what my grandmama say. Okay. I just was trying to get some help. If Abina thinks it's a good idea, then who are you to stand in our way of I fame mean, and prosperity? I definitely haven't said that yet, <sighs> but I can you make know, you think it. I can thank make you think it, Abina. And see, look, it's a lot of people in the Bible who thought things were good ideas, and it wasn't. And the Lord had to send a prophet to tell them. I'm Amen. just trying to prophesy to y'all today. I, but you haven't even seen it. You have. Can you wait for the product? Can you wait for the product? Like, why you gotta crush my dream before it's even a reality? Oh my you know what, Abina? Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for witnessing the abuse that I do on a weekly basis. <laughs> You know, thank you for preaching the gospel and thank you for just like encouraging me as one who is constantly persecuted. No, no, no. This was constantly persecuted. I really appreciate you just like teaching me about embodied faith in the face of my persecution. Here we go. Thank you, You know, Sweet Tea is a podcast of the Area Code Network. To learn more, 
we encourage you to visit www.areaconetwork.com. Y'all Google my name because that track is going to come out and you just uh, follow. I tried to let Abina be famous. She obviously is turning me down. She's siding with Portia. That's what I, I feel. So just like when I win my Grammy, don't expect to be I thanked. I just need some okay? more time to think Whatever. it through, you know? Don't expect to be thanked. And I'm going to edit my acknowledgments. <laughs> I will be speaking to my editor after we get wow. out. We love you so much. Love you guys too. This was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> you it was a joy it really was it was so, a joy until the last little bit whatever jasmine okay. <laughs> all right guys until next time peace bye y'all bye this is an area code podcast